Welcome to episode 98 of Dads from the Crypt. My name is Jason. I'm joined by Jody. Hello. And Mondo. Hello. And tonight we are joined by Jamie and Ryan from the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Welcome. Hi. Hello. How are we doing tonight? Good. Thank you for having us. Uh, yes, all right. Fantastic. Thank you for coming. Tell our listeners about your show. Yeah, um, the Black Girl Nurse podcast is a weekly podcast. Uh, we are on all of the streaming networks where you can find and listen to your favorite podcasts. It started back in March of 2013. I, my name's Jamie. I'm the founder of Black Girl Nerds. Ryan is our pretty much our flagship host. <laughs> um, I used to do a lot of the hosting in the early days, uh, but you know, as you build and you grow a brand. You have to get some folks on board to help you build it. So Ryan's really taken the reins and uh, hosting a lot of the episodes. And we do interviews and we go to on-site events like Comic-Con every now and then and do um, on-the-spot coverage there. So, yeah, you can listen to our episodes every Monday is when we drop um, new episodes there. And, Ryan, I'll, I'll give it over to you because you really <laughs> do the bulk of the podcast. And people that tune in, they hear your voice more than they do me. Yeah, well, yeah, so we do. Um, yeah, like Jamie said, every Monday we release new episodes. And it's just a good time. Like, we get to do so much variety um, as far as, like, we'll bring in authors. We have TV shows, whatever's current, whatever's streaming now. We try to make sure we bring um, the cast. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful interviews on our YouTube page. Right now, the box office is taking all of our money. So I have a ton of live <laughs> reviews that we got going on the Black Grinners YouTube page. So go check those out. But yeah, so, you know, while Jamie's out on the ground and out the festivals and, you know, killing it all over the place, I try to hold it down with the live reviews and recaps because it's just all about getting these diverse um, voices and, and Black women's voices out there in genres that you don't typically hear them in. So it's a good time. Yeah, I was listening to your latest interviews, and yeah, you got a lot of great ones that I need to uh, get up on. Because um, you're just at the Black um, Afri- uh, American Black Film Festival. Um, we'll talk more about film festivals in a little bit, but um, yeah, a lot of great stuff, a lot of great talent coming out of there. That was, that was really cool. And your latest oh, yeah. one, right, is an interview with the director of Jagged Edge? Uh, Jagged Mind. Jagged, Jagged Mind, yeah. Yeah, Kelly Collie. So kind of in line with um, horror. It is a horror thriller mm-hmm. that is currently streaming on Hulu, and it's really good. So if you're into um, horror thrillers, and also it's through a queer lens, uh, which is great. Right now it's mm-hmm. Pride Month, so if you're looking for like LGBTQ cinema, um, definitely check out Jagged Mine, and that yeah, that's uh, now streaming on Hulu. Okay, good. Yeah, I was wondering if it when it was out because uh, yeah, that sounds very interesting from the interview. So I want to oh no, listen yeah. to that tonight. Though we are talking about '90s horror classic Tales from the Hood, came out May twenty fourth, nineteen ninety five. So again, we're doing an anthology movie, so we're going to break it out by segments, um, so we don't wear Jody out. 
uh, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and give us uh, start your plot synopsis? Okay, so we'll, let's start with the wraparound. Uh, we meet three guys, Stack Bell and Bulldog. They are drug dealers, and they go to this funeral home because the uh, the man there says he has found some drugs in an alley and is going to give them to him. And then he starts telling stories about the bodies in the caskets, and those are our segments. So that's that's the wraparound. It's pretty simple. We'll get to where it goes uh, at the end, but uh, yeah, it's a good setup. We've got a the 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 mortuary owner is one of those characters that you will never forget, for sure. Yes. Uh, so that's played by Clarence Williams the third and. Talk about a story career. My God. Uh, he was in the original Mod Squad for many, many episodes. He was in Purple Rain, Maniac Cop 2. He was in Twin Peaks. He was even in the Tales from the Crypt episode, Maniac at Large. And, Ooh. of course, he was in uh, Half-Baked, among <laughs> many, many, many things. But that's that's the one, probably the one that sticks out the most to me because I love that movie. Um, and he hands it up so much in this. We'll get more into that part. But. He he's up there with the Crypt Keeper, like as far as amazing oh, yeah. post performances. He's got such this, a sweaty, intense performance. Yeah. He's so sweaty. He's got this great <laughs> aura of like sinister playfulness. Like you can just tell something's there, and but you don't know it until the end. And uh yeah, he's phenomenal in this. And okay. I've I've probably back in the day, uh Comedy Central used to play Half Baked, I think, yep. about every third hour. And so I've seen Half Baked more times than I can count. <laughs> and yeah, he's just one of those guys. I love seeing him pop up in anything, but especially his performance in this is just fantastic. He, he He's the highlight for sure. Right. And then the other characters, the three guys, uh, Stack is played by Joe Torrey. He had a, a big arc in ER back in the day. Um, he was in House Party 3, uh, Poetic Justice. Uh, Ball is played by DeAndre Bonds, who was in Gangster Squad and Snowfall. Bulldogs played by Samuel Monroe Jr. He was in uh, Menace to Society and Don't Be a Menace. To, don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the, in the hood, which <laughs> is a classic movie too. <laughs> yeah, it's also a classic. If you're into '90s silly comedies, that's right up there. It's the most ridiculous oh, title. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. Okay. Let's roll into the first one, Jody. Okay. All right. So our first story is called Rogue Cop Revelation. And uh, it's about four cops that are out, uh, three white cops and a young black cop out on his first night. He's a rookie. They pull over a man who is a almost like civil rights advocate or a uh, political agitator. His whole thing is he is taken down corrupt cops. I think he was like, actually a councilman. Okay, yeah, so he was on the city council. But his his whole thing that he was trying to do through his position was to get co- corrupt cops off the street. And obviously, these guys are corrupt cops, and uh, they don't like that. And so uh, the white cops start beating him up. Um, the, uh, the rookie tries to stop them briefly, but... It, you know, one of the guys says, like, this is the code. You don't talk about these things. And uh, they say they're going to take him to the hospital after beating him up. After, so they leave the rookie with his partner. And then they take him and throw him in the river, basically put him in the trunk of the car, inject him with drugs and throw him in the river. 
A year later, the rookies quit. He, he couldn't keep going after what he saw that night. And he is getting dreams or visions of the uh, councilman saying, bring them to me. And so he brings them all to the graveyard. And in the graveyard at his grave, he gets his revenge. So we'll talk about what that is in just a minute. But uh, great setup. Okay. Uh, Jamie, why don't you start us off? What did you think of this segment? And you, yeah. We can do spoilers. Oh. So dive in. Yeah, feel free to spoil. Okay. Well, I, I want to piggyback and talk about Clarence Williams III really quick because um, mm -hmm. he is absolutely brilliant in, in this film. And yeah, we see the this wraparound story featured with him in the beginning. So whenever I think of Clarence Williams III, I always think of Tales from the Hood. So I just wanted to say that number one um i th this was this is a good segment out of all of each of the segments of tales from the hood um this is sort of in the middle for me um but I, it definitely puts a highlight and that's what i love about the tales from the hood uh film and these little uh vignettes is that it does this, it does the thing that um, we didn't really see or that we're seeing now rather in the black horror uh, genre is it's crossing socioeconomic issues with the horror genre. And it's talking about like police brutality and, and really touching on those, you know, social injustices while also scaring us at the same time. But it's like this reality of like a real scary thing um around wrapped around the horror genre so you get that in this uh in this short story and um we're we're seeing that highlighted more and people are you know heralding movies like get out like oh well this is such a phenomenon but tells from the hood kind of <laughs> touched yeah, on that yeah. many many years ago so so yeah absolutely uh great storytelling on this one but ryan yeah, I had never seen um, Tales of the Hood before. I've seen like all the actors. Listen to you go through the list. I've seen them <laughs> in other stuff that I've seen, but I've like I've never seen Tales of the Hood. So when I was checking this out, I was the exact same thing that Jamie's saying. You watch Get Out, Us. It's like they could have had a playbook just watching this of some of the concepts that they pulled out and 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 put into those movies. But um, just to keep it honest, when I first saw this uh, segment, I was pissed. I was like, like I was ready for the revenge part of it, which I know is probably the point of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it was, I think it very, it hit really hard off the top, which I'm pretty sure that's what the director was going for to make a statement about, you know, police brutality. Um, if you have black cops, that's a lot of things that are going on right now, you know, and they see this kind of brutality, what do they do? You know, that kind of stuff haunts them. Like, how do they feel about it? So I think it was an interesting way how they kind of hit us right off the top with this. And I also wanted to point out something too. Um, in the intro, I thought was interesting was there was like a skeleton with like a bandana on, like he was a gangster with a cigarette in his mouth. I was like, Oh, we're in for it. As soon as it opened for that, <laughs> I was just like, Oh my gosh. So it's already setting the tone for like the, the, you know, the kind of lifestyle they want to point out. And you could just take it anywhere as far as like a conclusion that you draw from it. Yeah, we yeah we didn't talk about the intro, but I really enjoyed that. It reminded me a lot of like the Batman '89, where it's like that real extreme close up, and you're not sure what it is of like these girls mm -hmm. stuff, and then like pulls back to reveal it's the bat signal. This is kind of felt like that a little bit because you're not sure exactly what you're looking at until it pulls out. Like yeah, there's a skeleton with you know uh, with a bandana and the gun and everything. You know you don't put all the pieces together, 
And um, also, we one thing I want to talk about is that the the score of this is really good by really good. Christopher Young, who did Hellraiser and a ton of other uh, classic horror movies. Um, but yeah, what's interesting to me, I, I've seen this a long time ago, and I, I know I'm sure I was like more focused on the horror parts and didn't really pick up on the commentary or kind of the setup. But it really hit, yeah, the first part of this segment really hit me because it it was horror without even needing any fantastic anything fantastical. Um, especially because you had this very campy uh, opening uh, with Clarence Thomas, uh, uh, Clarence Williams, uh, like chewing the scenery. Um, and you're like, okay, I'm settling in for some, you know, kind of maybe kind of goofy humor. Um, and then it just hits you with this like really strong, dramatic, uh, really well acted, um, horrifying sequence, really. Um, and I just, I just wasn't kind of prepared for that. And I think that's kind of what the director wanted was to hit you kind of with a two by four. Um, and then you have these cops who start pissing on this guy's grave and mm-hmm. then a hand comes out and grabs him and pulls him into the grave by his genitals and like, okay, now we're, now we're getting there. Um, and we have this great zombie sequence. Um, it's just really, really fun and like satisfying to watch these guys just get ripped to pieces. Yeah. All, all of these segments kind of start with a real life horror, like something that is actually scary in real life and then take it into the fantastical, you know? So like, I I feel like it has a lot of impact because it, every single setup is something real and it's something that is actually scary that could happen to real people. And then it, you kind of get that fantastical side of getting revenge on those people. Every single one of these stories of the, well, most of the stories are revenge story. And we're used to like the the classic EC comics where, you know, a group of people meet an eccentric figure and that eccentric figure tells them three stories of people done in by their own greed or lust. But that's usually like, but this is much more prevalent, much more in Mm -hmm. your, uh, there's something, this hits me a bit differently and maybe it's an age thing. Um, Part part of it's probably the fact that this movie was made in the nineties and every single story could have been told today and still been relevant. That's kind yeah. of the depressing part of it. <laughs> but I, you know what? This film really resonates because, like you said, it takes real-life horror and then brings it into the fantastical. And I think that that's what really attracted audiences. It didn't try to condescend to the audience yes. at that time. It didn't try to make it really campy because, let's keep it real, Black horror, especially back then, some of the movies just weren't that good. And for us as Black audiences... We didn't have a lot of good films to pick from. Tales from the Hood is like the cream of the crop when it comes to black horror, especially back in the 90s. Because I remember, like, there were movies like Death by Temptation mm-hmm. and, like, Leprechaun in the Hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these movies were terrible. Um, and then there's the ones that go into these really, even though Serpent in the Rainbow was very well done, it kind of falls into this trope about, you know, voodoo and all of that. And that that's another conversation for another day. But, um, you know, Tales from the Hood just really nailed it as far as just the quality and just what really horror represents for our community, for our audience. So I just really appreciated that. And um, we're kind of seeing remnants of that today. And some of the current horror that you're seeing, like movies that just came out this weekend, like The Blackening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's, it's also interesting because two weeks ago we covered a movie called Ritual, 
which was shoehorned as a Tales from the Crypt movie, which takes place in the Caribbean and it's really not good and it goes into every bad stereotype you can imagine. So it's so interesting coming off of that the bad taste that had and coming into mm-hmm. this is like a, a fresh breath of air. Yeah, um, yeah, much like you guys, I watched this the first time when I was very young and I just had fun with that. I thought it was fun, but watching it again for the first time in forever, like, yeah, like hit really, really hard. And it's, it's pretty sad that it could have been made to, like Jody said, it could have been made today and, and nothing's changed in 30 freaking years. Like that we still deal with the, still see the same shit in the news. Still see the same shit happening around the world that happens in this film. Well, I think, I think one thing the filmmakers did really well is they take those real life horrors and then once they get into the fantastical, it becomes really fun too. Like this is not like while it the real life situations are depressing, this is not like a depressing movie to watch. Like you can kind of right. like pump your fist, you know. It's enjoyable uh, watching yeah. where these stories go in the end. So it it gets both. Like it's got social commentary, but also just like fun horror. Like in this this one, you know, you got heads getting ripped off. You got you know explosions and. This crazy thing where the the last corrupt cop becomes like a uh, a mural on the wall after getting shot with like flying needles, like it's really cool, like it's fun horror. And I uh, thought it was a nice touch that they also punished the person that he's saying you should have you could have spoken up. Why didn't you speak you up? Why didn't you yeah. do something? And he's now in an insane asylum and charges all these murders. Um, but like you said too, I think the the protagonist in every one of these episodes is the supernatural. Like the, the what's normally the the villain or the or the scary entity is kind of the protagonist in all of these these segments too. Which, uh, like you said, Jody, kind of makes you want to pump your fist because you're you're rooting for the uh you're, you're rooting for the supernatural. Yeah, no, the what whatever quote unquote evil thing is happening, you're on its side. 100%. Yeah, uh, the, <laughs> the, the evil is earned. I wouldn't even call it evil. It's 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 retribution. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, okay, just to break down the cast in this one, uh, Wings Hauser plays Strom, who is the kind of ringleader of the cops. Um, he was in an episode of Freddy's Nightmares and Beastmaster 2. What, what a great name. I know. Well, I, no, that's because like, he was really good at football, apparently, and so they, gave, they called him Wings. So that was they took him as a stage name. I didn't know if you flew in football, but that's fine. There you go. Well, there's a position like <laughs> called the wingback. It's a whole thing. Um, all right, the... Um, Community activist council member is played by Tom Wright. He was in Creep Show 2, Troop Beverly Hills, and the Tales from the Crypt episode, Abra Cadaver, one of Jody's favorites. Good episode. Um, let's see. Clarence uh, is played by Anthony Griffith. Um, he was in Charlie Angel's Full Throttle. He's also an episode of Masters of Horror. And just so everyone knows, we do tend to focus more on the sci-fi horror um, projects. That's kind of what we focus on when we do these. So I'm sure we're skipping over lots of other good movies. Um, now let's see. The other cop, Newton, is played by Michael Massey. He was in The Crow, Seven, Lost Highway, and Catwoman. Uh, one thing, not to bring things down, he was so he was in The Crow. He's actually the one who had the gun and pulled the trigger yeah. oh, that yeah. killed Brandon Lee. Yeah. Brandon. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So the fact that he, he even, that for the rest of your life, right. I know. Yeah, no kidding. And he went on to have this like he was still in a lot of violent movies afterwards. Uh, not not to bring yeah. things down, but let me talk about this tragic event. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the last cop is played by Dwayne Billy. He was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three. He du- was du- in Dwayne Whitaker. Dwayne Whitaker. What did I say? Dwayne Billy. 
Oh, his character is Billy. <laughs> too, many, too, many, <laughs> too many words for me to look at. Uh, the spreadsheet has gone too big. Um, he's also in Puppet Master 5, and I guess he's become a bit of a uh, Rob Zombie favorite. He was in Devil's Rejects, uh, Halloween 2, and he was also in Feast. So, yeah, overall, again, I love the zombie effects in this. They're really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, I love a good big explosion. And you could see like a, a stuntman standing up in the car and kind of falling forward. Those are the kind of things I love to see in the movie. The, the, the effects in this movie are really good for 1995. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a little touch of CGI, but most of it is practical stuff. It's really good. Like, just yeah, you, you can tell they had a good filmmaking. Yeah, they had a, a very impressive budget to do all these things. The, the um, voice so good on them for that. I thought the voice of the zombie was fantastic. Okay, it was mm-hmm. not, it was mm-hmm. so creepy. But I, I do got to call shenanigans when he shoots like two bullets at the cop car and it explodes. I thought that was great. Well, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was some great <laughs> cheese. It was great. It was the nineties. Yeah, those ninety cop cars are full. Yeah, good aim. So sorry. Cars being made of like pure nitroglycerin is one of my favorite tropes in movies. <laughs> yeah, so they just one shot. <laughs> boom. Right. Right. All I also right. like being able to see the beaker in his stomach. I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. 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 That was that was awesome. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love a good zombie. All right, Jody, next. All right. Our next story is called Boys Do Get Bruised. And uh, a little boy named uh, Walter is starting at a new school. And his teacher notices that he's starting to, like, he gets picked on by some of the kids and gets in a fight. And the teacher notices his eyes black. And he asked him if the kids did that. And he said, no, it was the monster. And uh, then the uh, the little boy continues to show bruises. The teacher continues to notice them. And he always says, it's the monster and nobody will believe me about it. He says, we told your mom she didn't want to hear it. So we already had to move once. And so he keeps talking about this monster. He's drawn a picture of it one day. And because one of the girls in class has told him if there's something that's scary like that, he can draw it and then tear it up and burn it. And that will kill whatever this monster is. And so the teacher goes over to his house one night to talk with his mom. And while he's over there, that's when we discover what the monster actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mondo, what'd you think of this one? Uh, this one's heartbreaking. This, this one is the one that really got to me because a, like anytime you see, you see abuse, it's, it, it's difficult. It's difficult for a kid to go through that. And, especially when you feel like the pain of the teacher too, who's kind of just trying to, all he wants to do is help. And he knows he can't help when he's kind of handcuffed by this. Uh, David Allen Greer is terrifying in this Uh episode. And like, I don't remember him ever being terrifying in anything, but Holy crap. Does he play this role? Amazing. And, um, and with the angle of domestic violence and is very, very tough to watch. This is a, a very difficult one to get through. But again, um, I, I love though the ending and the drawing mm-hmm. and as he crumbles it together and you see David Allen Greer's arm breaks and, and the effects on this are just fantastic. And then the end when he's just crumpled into a little ball on the floor, all torn apart, but still in the, in the classic abuser sense, still can't even get over himself at this point that uh, he's, he's, he's gotten, they've gotten the best of him. But um, I thought this is my, probably my favorite of all of them. It, I, I don't know my favorite as far as like, I don't really feel that great after watching it. <laughs> but, uh, but this one definitely had a, had a God, it hit me kind of deep because again I don't remember any of these segments being that deep when I was 13 years old watching this but uh, being 40 years old and watching it I was like man that's a and especially being parents that was a 
very tough one to watch, but a very, very great episode or segment. Yeah. Ryan, what'd you think? Yeah, this one, this one was, was definitely a tough one. Um, this one though, for me, allowed me to escape more into the horror element of it mm-hmm. before yeah. the heartbreak came. Because it was, a, you saw a little boy drawing the monster and you're like, okay, something's wrong. Something's wrong here, but you can't quite place it yet. And as soon as they had the confrontation in the kitchen, everything, like all the pieces that you've been gathering, like why he says monster, he has a monster tattoo on his arm. The sound effects with the door when he comes through the door, like every time he wants to come, you know, um, you know, beat his son or whatever, he's going after the wife. The sound effects are insane. Like you would think you actually have this monster in this house, you know, which he is, mm-hmm. but you get to escape in that horror part of it before you're like, oh, oh God, they need to get out of this house, you <laughs> yeah, know, before it gets yeah. really into, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you get to escape in that for a little bit and you're like, what, this boy is really being attacked by a monster. Are they going to do anything about it? Cause you don't know he's at school. He's just drawing pictures and you're like, what's going on? So I think this one for me, it like allowed me to really escape into it before, you know, the real, the real life society element hits you at the end of it. So it kind of draws you in a little bit more. So I, I don't know if it was my favorite. Cause like you said, it's a little hard cause it's yeah. very heart wrenching, but it's very well played the way it's laid out. Yeah. Cause I, I well, I realize as you're talking is that most of it's filmed from the boy's perspective. Uh-huh. So you're seeing it through his eyes, like even when, like when he's sitting on the stairs watching, you're kind of seeing it from his perspective. And then again, the, when quote the monster is there, you see like a claw coming through. Uh-huh. And then even when David uh-huh. Greer walks in the frame, you still hear like a monster voice. So again, you're hearing how like how a, how a child is coping with that. Again, as father with little kids, you wonder how they hear things and how they're perceiving things. And yeah, especially in David Al Greer is just so much known for his comedy, and then. This is just like, he just drops all that comedy, that pretense, and just becomes a completely different creature. Um, it's bone chilling. He's terrifying, man. Like, damn, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to meet this guy in a dark alley. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, kind of no, like I, Rob, when Robin Williams does, like, serious. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I knew David Allen Greer mostly from In Living Color. And mm-hmm. so this is a very, very different kind of David Allen Greer. Um but I thought this was a, it was really well done. And again, like, uh, like Mondo said, those special effects at the end of him just like bending and folding and crumpling. And it, I, I, I appreciate the, re- the revenge was slow in this one. I think I had to take their time <laughs> and take this dude out because he deserved it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I read that the effects were done by, uh, Screaming Mad George. Nice. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, who did like the roach effects in Elm Street four? Yeah. Um, and society. And society. Of, yeah. yeah. A ton of other Shunting. classic effects. Uh, Jamie, what'd you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I think that theme that we've been talking about so far is like the real life elements of dealing with real life situations moving into the fantastical. And like the first one was about police brutality. This one's more about domestic violence. And then like towards the end, as everyone's saying, we're crumpling up the paper and then David Allen Greer's character goes into those different kind of motions and his arms and, you know, bones are bending around. It felt very cartoonish to me, uh, but not in a bad way. It just, you know, it that was sort of the entertaining part of this very kind of sad story or very sad story, really. Uh, but one thing that was very interesting is David Allen Greer, also for me, too, he was coming off of In Living Color when he had done this. So this is like the first time I'd ever seen anything dramatic or even scary from David Allen Greer. So kudos to him in this performance because he really nailed it in this. 
And I know we're going to go over all of the actors and their bios, but uh, Rusty Cundiff, who's the director, um, is also makes it like a cameo in this. And he um, is known to do a lot of cameos in his own films. So I liked seeing him also mm. in this. Uh, so, yeah, it this I actually this is my second favorite. Uh, I'll tell you what my first favorite one is. <laughs> but this is my second favorite out of the vignettes from Tales of the Hood. Yeah, so uh, we'll, let's go over the talent. Dave Allen Greer, uh, who's in Boomerang and Living Color, who's in Jumanji. And he has a new movie coming out. I just saw the trailer called They Clone Tyrone. Which I, I watched the trailer today. Long. It looks good. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. I've seen it. it was, oh, you've it seen it? Yeah, it was at AUBFF. So, uh, yeah. Nice. David Allen Greer is really, really good at it, too. Okay. Well, that's going to be a Netflix movie, so. Yes. Uh, I'm excited for that one. Um, and then let's see. Walter, the little boy, is played by Brandon Harmond, who is a menace to society. He also played young Michael Jordan in Space Jam, and he was in oh, Mars wow. Attacks. Wow. He was so good. He was like for a good. kid actor. He yeah. was really good. He was really good. Just the expressiveness in his face, especially when you know the monster was coming, and yeah, you know, he was really good kid actor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as he, he said, Rusty Cundiff, who was also the director, we didn't talk about him at the top, but he directed his first movie was uh, Fear of a Black Hat. He did mm-hmm. many episodes of Chappelle yeah. Show, and he did two episodes of the Crypt Show series as a director. As an actor, um, he did forty episode, forty eight episodes of Days of Our Lives. Um, wow. wow! I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and he was also in Spike Lee's School Days. And then the mother, Paula Jai Parker, um, she has a very big resume. She was in Friday, the Wayne's Brothers TV show. Uh, Don't be a menace to yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I'm not going to try to say that all again. Um, <laughs> she was also in many episodes of the Weird Al show. She was in Hustle and Flow. And she's also had a big arc in True Blood. So she's a very versatile actress. I liked her a lot in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, heartbreaking episode, but again, but really, it's one of those like it's hard to watch, but it's also really, but it's easier to watch because it's so well made. That's what, that's what yeah. I'll say about that. Yeah. to wrap it up. No, definitely, and I think part like part of like 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 Ryan said, I, I already knew. I, I again, I remembered. Oh, oh crap! I know who the monster is when the episode when the segment first started. So I couldn't have that fanatical thing because I already knew. Like ah, this poor kid. I want him to tell his teacher so bad who who's doing mm. this, and yeah. For a while, I thought it might be the mother. I wasn't entirely sure. Mm-hmm. I knew I figured it was some adult at home, but I wasn't sure which. But that's uh, the worst for a kid, right? He doesn't have it. He's got. He's getting bullied at school. He doesn't have his escape at home. He doesn't have an escape at school. Like the, the pork, he's just stuck in the middle. And we didn't mention it, but I do love though when he first draws a picture of the bully and like folds it in half right. or whatever. And then you see him getting wheeled mm-hmm. away in a gurney. Right, and then the other teachers like must have weak bones. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> come on. Uh, I'm sorry they didn't have like a, a milk advert like in the background somewhere. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jody, bring us next. All right. So uh, not to spoil anything, but I think this one might be my favorite. Uh, this one is called KKK Comeuppance. And uh, we start with a racist Southern senator who is very open in his racism. And he has moved into a black neighborhood so that he can run in that neighborhood, in that district. He moved into a plantation home that was the former home of a slave owner who, when the slaves were set free, he did not want them to be free. And so he had every single one of them killed 
And so this was a house full of murder. But it had been owned by another woman who kind of wanted to honor those who had died there. She was, uh, they say she's a voodoo woman. I don't know exactly what she did, but the story is uh, told in the neighborhood that she put the souls of those people who had died into dolls. Now, the senator is just doing this to, um, because he likes it. He likes the house. He likes the look. He likes, he actually likes the look of the racism. He's a former KKK member. And he says he's never seen any of those dolls. He wanted to find them because he thought he could sell them. But the dolls do start appearing. There's a real cool picture of her with all the dolls up on the wall. There's a really cool effect of the dolls disappearing as they appear in the real world. And those dolls, a.k.a. the souls of the uh, former slaves who had been killed, get their revenge on the Southern Senator in a very satisfying way. All right. Jamie, let's just start us off. This is my favorite one. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> it's it's my favorite because it's the scariest one. There doll horror movies frighten <laughs> the hell out of me. <laughs> the Annabelle movies, the Chucky movies, like those doll movies, even Megan recently, like they scare me. Uh so when I first saw this and those dolls and the the way they're so animated as well. I'm, I'm guessing they use stop motion for the animation. Yeah, they look. I think it was a look like stop motion. It was me. a mix of rod puppetry and stop motion. It was done by the Kyoto Brothers, who did uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, nice. Oh, that is another movie. If y'all ever do a podcast, I would love to talk to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. We should do that. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely yeah, I love that movie. Um, but yeah, I just, I love the dolls. Corbin Burnson, he was amazing in this. I mean, he's mm-hmm. an awful character, but he plays the character so well. There's actually an ad on Facebook that promotes these dolls that look a lot like the dolls in this movie. Uh, <laughs> and ironically, or <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Is it ironically or unironically is the question? I know. I'm like, what, what is this? I'm scrolling really fast. But um, but yeah, the, the this is such a great story, and um, yeah, I, I it's just so well done, it's so well told, and it's just so frightening. Again, there's just something about dolls and the way they look and their eyes, and they're turning around real slow, looking at him, and and the way the dolls attack him, and then there's sometimes where it's a little funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like they're a little hopping on him and stuff. But um, but yeah, it, it's it's brilliantly it's brilliantly done, and um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely my favorite out of all of the the stories in this film. All right, Ryan. Yeah, it was mad creepy. Like I was looking <laughs> at my Funko Pops, real sketchy. Like I was like, <laughs> yeah, because it it was I was like that was insane, and then like the little feet you could hear across the floor. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, nah, like. I don't even know. Like, I understand it was like the hardcore racist. Like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, he's got like an N-word every other word that he's going to say. But, dude, when the <laughs> dolls start coming out and you looking up at the picture and ain't nothing on the picture, like, I'm trying to figure out why he's still in the house. <laughs> like, it, 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 it was crazy. And he pulls out the shotgun and he's like shooting it. Like, you already sh- like shot him. I think he threw like a dart or something at him and he came back. And I was just like, why are you still there? Like, I just, I was like, I can't, you know, it's just like the, 
the racism that you can't let go, where it's just stupidity at this point, where you're just like, <laughs> okay, just go ahead and get him to the end so we don't have to watch it anymore. Um, but yeah, and when they all jumped on him and started tearing him apart, I was like, uh, you know, he deserved it wholeheartedly. <laughs> I was like, go for it. But at the same time, I was like, no, you know, because it was just like blood everywhere again with the effects. Like it was so scary the way they the way they did it. So yeah, I, I was I was kind of afraid to be sitting close to my Funko Pops like I am right now for a little bit. It took me it took me amount of time. All right, Jody. Yeah, like I said, this is this is my favorite segment here. Uh, just I I love anything with little monsters in it. Like I don't know what it is about little monsters. Like not even dolls necessarily, but like gremlins. Or like critters or mm-hmm. puppet master, just little bitty <laughs> killer things. Something about them is really fun to me. And uh yeah, you get, you know, these really cool puppet animations. The designs of all the puppets are really cool. And again, you have this character who is so despicable that uh, by the time the horror starts, you're like, okay, this is scary, but I'm also kind of for it. Like I'm on the little doll side because this guy's awful. Um but yeah, it's just, it's really well done, really well acted. Corbin Burnson does a fantastic job as this terrible character. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I have no complaints about this one at all. It's just a fantastic segment. Mondo. Yeah, it's probably my second favorite. Um, and if history has taught us anything over the years, it's how white people love living in haunted houses. <laughs> I, 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 there, there's nothing going to get them out of that house. <laughs> That's amenable horror, all that stuff. Everyone could just move. Like, right. I couldn't come I mean, from a guy who lived in a haunted house for almost a year, but uh, but my it was my parents' decision, and they're Mexican. But what are you gonna do? Um, but yeah, this is a great segment. Like you guys said, the, the pub, the puppetry or the stop motion, I, I loved it. Everything was so creepy. I loved seeing the uh, the painting constantly missing, uh, mm-hmm. missing, missing the dolls. I love that Corbin Burnson got what's coming to him. That guy deserved the worst. And again, mm-hmm. we talk about how like this movie could be made today. Fucking, we're still voting for racists today, you know, and, and and no one seems to care. But uh, and I, I do like too, like the whole kind of the symbol, the symbolism where he's trying to kill the puppet with the American flag, but yeah. the puppet won't. Yeah. But 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 right. but the puppets ain't dying from that. And then at the end, when they're trying to uh, jump on him, he covers himself with the American flag, like that's gonna save him. And they still uh, yeah. tear him to pieces anyway. So uh, bravo, great segment. And uh, damn, this is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I remember liking this movie. I remember being good, but I watched it last night. I was like, at the end, I was like, God, that was a great movie. I'm saying, I'm still it's making me happy talking about it again. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get to see a David Duke stand in, just get ripped to pieces, it's just. <laughs> I mean, satisfying. I, may, may, maybe the reason I like this segment so much, I st- I still live in the South. I live out in the country ass part of the South too. So uh, these are the like local representatives, and it's it's kind of nice just to you know have that little moment of like the guy who I see in the friggin' Walmart who I know is like my state senator, and I'm like that motherfucker. <laughs> you know, it'd be kind of nice. The uh, the political map of Tennessee is all red, and then a blue dot on Jody's house. Yeah, and there's a blue much- dot on my house, my parents' house, and then Nashville, Memphis. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do the talents again. Corbin Bernstein. Uh, Bernstein. This actually man. was originally it was originally Bernstein that they changed it when they moved. Um, he was a major league, the dentist in the dentist too. Um, great movies. Yeah, he has great, great crazy he's really, movies. He's really unhinged. If you want to see him even more unhinged, check out those mm-hmm. movies. He was also in the episode. Hmm? 
it gets worse. He gets even more unhinged. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. If, if, dentist. If you have a fear uh, or an apprehension of going to the dentist, do not watch those movies. Okay. Those movies are cringe-inducing because it's all teeth, teeth yeah. through the whole thing. Yeah, okay. I, well, hard I, pass, hard pass. I had my <laughs> first cavity ever, like a month ago or two months ago. I had my first cavity ever, mm. and they, they drilled it with no Novocaine, um, just because oh, it was, it was, it's. So my best friend's wife is my dentist, and she's a, the best person. And she goes, if it hurts, we'll give you too bad. We'll give you Novocaine. If not, just see, because if not, because it's on the surface, I don't think it'll be too bad. And it wasn't bad. But I finally, for the first time in my life, realized why people don't like going to the dentist because you just hear mm-hmm. that drill sound in your head. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. it took me 40 no, years for, to get here. But but for me, the thing about going to, if especially a cavity with a little drill, the worst part about it is you can you can smell your teeth burning. Like the, there's a smell Ooh. in the air from that drill. It's yeah. terrible. Uh, I haven't uh, had many cavities in my life, but everyone I've had, that's been one of the worst parts. Of that, that didn't bother me, but I also got to smell my eyes burn when I got LASIK, so. Okay. Okay. Not to sway, LASIK's amazing, but you do smell your eyes burning. That is a little weird. It is a little weird. Jeez. Um. Okay. So his political consultant, which I don't know if we mentioned, is played by Roger Smith. Uh, He was also in School Days, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, and is also in Final Destination. Um, and then the kind of harbinger, the crazy Ralph of the episode is played by Art <laughs> Evans, who is in Fright Night, School Days, and Die Hard 2. Um, oh, real, yeah. So the, Ru- what's interesting about this? Hmm? A rusty kind of his parents actually are in this episode as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was going to mention the woman in the chair at the end, the ghost is played by his mother in the oh, pasture at the funeral. That. That's I cool. Know. I didn't know that. Yeah, and his cool. father um, is the priest at the funeral. It, it, wow. he, he had mentioned uh, something like how his mom's super introverted mm-hmm. and his dad is like outgoing, but his dad froze up on camera and his mom was just supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this episode was by far the campiest over like it was camp from start to beginning. Um, that's just my kind of my two cents. Yeah. It's all fun. That, like we said dolls and little things don't do too, too much for me, but it was still fun. And again, anything Kyoto brother effects is top notch. Yeah, no, the, the little horrors aren't scary to me. They're more fun. Like, yeah. I just like the invasions of little monsters of various kinds. All right, Jody, bring us to the last episode, our last segment. The last segment. All right. This one is called Hardcore Convert. And it was a little harder to follow than some of the other segments. So I'm going to do my best to uh, synopsize this one. Uh, so it starts off with a series of shootings from various gang members. One guy shoots one guy and then another guy or that guy shoots the guy who shot him and then guys come from out of the house and start shooting and the cops come and they start shooting so there's a lot of shootings going on one of the guys who gets shot is uh named uh crazy k that's what he goes by and as he's laying there on the ground um the the police arrive and they he's badly injured still alive they take him to the prison and he's going to go for a life sentence they put him in a cell right next to this super racist dude who basically is saying like, hey, we're the same. I like to kill black people and you like to kill black people. Like that's kind of the, the theme of this one is that gang violence is supporting white supremacy because you're doing exactly what they want you to do. And uh, so um, he gets drafted into this experiment that's supposed to change his behavior and What they show is a series, like they strap him down to a table and show him a series of images 
of violence against black people, particularly uh, white supremacist violence. So a lot of lynching, and these are real pictures too, a lot of lynchings, a lot of police pictures, uh, very unpleasant stuff to watch, but it's supposed to make him see that he is doing the work of white supremacy by killing other black people. But unfortunately, Crazy K sticks to his guns. He does not want to uh, change his life. He says, you know, he's gone through things too. He sees like the all of his victims, including like a little girl who got shot through the wall of her house when she was just up in her room. He refuses to change. And so we go back to that moment when he was laying on the ground bleeding out at the beginning. And uh, he gets shot surrounded by... Uh, Three faces who we do not see at that point who shoot at him and kill him in the end. Okay. Uh, Mondo, what'd you think? Uh, this is a good one. This probably is my least favorite out of the bunch. Um, uh, horror wise, though, I, I it always gets me when you have that isolationist horror. When he mm-hmm. feels like when he's trapped in this never any nightmare, that kind of I mean, granted, a just a, a very justified nightmare. Uh, that, that never ends. Uh, the imagery tough to watch, and I think it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's definitely meant to be. It's it's and um, and the end with the little girl coming up and saying, "Well, yeah, you keep saying all these people deserve to die. Why did I deserve to die? I was just sitting in my bedroom like that. Kind of hit you know, coming from, that kind of hit hard hard too because you hear about it all the time when these poor innocent innocent victims die in, in these situations, and it's um, it's just rough. Um, and then of course. I love how at the very end, though, how it wraps back around to being part of the wraparound uh, with him getting killed by the current uh, current drug dealers who are in the in the mortuary. Um, probably my, my least favorite of them all. But that's not to say it was bad at all. That's just saying there are four. You know, they're all amazing segments. And one has to be my least favorite. And this one just happened to be it. Uh, but everything and, and the doctor uh, was uh, was great. I thought she was played mm-hmm. uh, fantastic and, and almost being like the uh, the angel of judgment or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but yeah, a good, good, good segment. Hey, Jimmy. Yeah. Um, so I, I've not seen Tales from the Hood in quite some time, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but it's one of my favorite films and I've seen it many, many times over the years. So I can still have this conversation with you guys, but there's still a line that Rosalind Cash says in this film that, still sticks with me um, when she says he slayed his brother and how many brothers have you slayed? And that always sticks with me because what this film is supposed or this vignette of all of these different short films throughout this whole feature of Tales from the Hood is to represent is I think this is the moment where we have these parallels between the real horror. So we've visited police brutality, we've visited domestic violence, we've visited systemic racism um, through the political sphere, and now uh, we're dealing with, you know, violence, I guess, during that time in the 90s, they called it, you know, black-on-black violence, but it's it's just violence, Um, and we're taking that and we're merging it with the fantastical horror element of it all with these other stories and merging it into one. And I know that it's probably hard for people to digest because for some people, arguably, they're probably thinking, well, this isn't supposed to be scary, but it is scary. Yeah. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a scary thing. Um, and seeing those images, those real life photographs of actual lynchings, 
um, and then seeing like civil rights leaders. And I just remember um, like those images still stick with me. And I, I haven't seen this movie in a while. <laughs> so uh, that's powerful. Like when a movie still sticks with you mm-hmm. long after that you've seen it, you know um, that the director and the creators behind it have done their job and they've accomplished it well. And that's what this film did. Rosalind Cash was amazing. Uh, rest in peace to her. Rest in peace to Lamont Bentley, who mm-hmm. played Chris K. Um, but both of them did uh, a stellar job. And I like how this ties into the wraparound. And I'll mm-hmm. go from there. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Yeah, I think usually um, before I go to like a slasher horror movie, I'll go thriller. Because I think one of the most powerful, scariest things is when you can mess on somebody's mind. So this one, this one definitely um, stuck with me a lot because it was, you know, you looking at the lynching and and the and the hanging, like the noose, the hanging from the trees and everything, and just the torment that they've had to face, and you know their way of dealing with it because they have no other outlet as they think, you know, is violence against each other because it's this psychological thing, it's this psychological messed up cycle that stays with you. And I like how this is played out. And this it starts out as this guy that just, okay, you need to get yourself together, dude. You're bouncing around from this prison to this one. You're getting yourself a second opportunity. But, you know, he just doesn't get it. And that's that that's that part that, that sticks with you that I know they're hoping that viewers take is that that psychological part stays there. If you don't, you know, if you don't find a way for it, you don't find a way to understand the history of, you know, that kind of torment, it takes another form. And, you know, today we're still dealing with, you know, like gang violences in in certain way. And, and, you know, and that from the past, like that just the discrimination and stuff that people continue to have to deal with and push through. And how do they deal with that? How do they make sense of that? So, yeah, this was definitely a powerful way to kind of wrap everything around and then to have him lay it on the ground to bring it all the way back around. And he didn't even you're thinking he survived. He's in this facility and everything is. No, he didn't. You know, it's still like this ever, this ever continuous cycle of gang violence that you're like, okay, where's the end to that? Like, where do we mm-hmm. stop? So I like how they leave that question mark at the end of like, how are you going to answer it? What do you take away from this? And yeah, like Echo, like Ronald and Cash, Lamont Bentley, like did a fantastic job. Um, yes, rest in peace. Those are fantastic actors that it's just like everything in their faces. And um, I just like how he's constantly like, you can't, you're not going to break me. I don't care what you do. You're not going to break me. You know, like he's like the hardest thing ever. And you're like, at some point, at some point, you're going to break. But mm-hmm. I just like that that strength that he shows and it's him pushing through. Um, and one of the weirdest scenes, I think, of this whole thing that I think will probably stay with me is him being in the cell, um, you know, with the, I guess that would have been like a clan member or whatever that was yeah. beside mm-hmm. him. And that conversation, I'm like, I cannot imagine like the way I would want to be able to get my like be able to have a superpower where I can just elaborate myself to anywhere else besides being in that situation. I can't imagine sitting right beside him and he's like, um, you know, well you like killing black people too. This is what I'm you know, I just can't like the things that are coming out of his mouth and you're having to sit there and take that and just psychologically how that might break you down was like powerful to me where I was like, okay, they're going for something. Like if you don't get something out of this scene, you know, they don't know what to do after that point. This was their crew to God. They they were trying yeah. to wrap everything up from here. So yeah, it was definitely powerful. Well, yeah, when when the main character is relating to the guy with the Hitler tattoo on his chest, but um, I love the production. I mean, everything everything you say, I I completely down with. But the production value on this one was really cool. Really cool sets. The whole Mm -hmm. like it was very Cronenberg 
Um, okay. And it's kind of Cronenberg. If Cronenberg directed um, Clockwork Orange, it's kind of what this made me think of. Yeah. yeah I, thought, whole, I thought Clockwork Orange for sure. Yeah. So because like you have this whole thing where it's like he's mostly naked. And he's got like electrodes on his nipples and he's got like this like visor thing. And he, the room is just like spinning and spinning and spinning. And then, and then making other like asking like how fast do you want this to go? And, like, well, a human can take this much. And, like, okay, let's do go with that. Um, so that's like a great dedication to performance um, in this. And uh, Rusty Cundiff talked a lot about how um, gang members will come up to him for years after this movie and said that this segment made them drop, you know, their lifestyle. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, wow. It, it yeah. sticks with you. It, mm-hmm. it really does. Yeah. Powerful yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So Lamont Bentley plays Crazy K. Uh, he's a regular in Moesha. He also played Tupac in Too Legit, the MC Hammer story <laughs> that came out in the late 90s. Uh, Rosalind Cash, again, classic actress. Um, she was in The Omega Man with Charlton Heston. Uh, she's a regular on many episodes of General Hospital. She was also in this crazy little horror flick called Death Spa uh, that's on Shudder. I recently watched. It's about a haunted health spa. Wow. That, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That like kills people with health equipment. It's very weird. It, it's one of those, she plays I- a cop in it. It's one of those iconic uh, movie posters I'll never forget seeing like at the, mm-hmm. at the blockbuster or the video store. Yeah. Um, See, so this is, yeah, this is a very intense. Especially the, the imagery and everything, yeah, it really sticks with you. But um, very powerful message. This this is definitely, I think, the less the least fun segment. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, there's there's, there's not like a silly side of it to like make you feel better. It's just you know it's heavy. It's it's heavy what's happening here and the message they're trying to get across. Um, but yeah, I, like you were saying about the set design, I love sets like this. Like when it's sci-fi, but it's grungy. Like there's something, you know, because sometimes sci-fi is all slick and, you know, looking futuristic. This is more like a grungy, dirty, like like they took him down into some kind of pit and did all this stuff on him. And it makes it just extra uncomfortable. And yeah, I just I, I thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, Jody, why don't you finish up the uh, wraparound? All right. In our final scenes here, uh, they... The, the three guys get angry at the mortuary guy because they were the three gangsters who killed him in the end of the last segment. And they're like, you know, we're tired of you telling us these stories. You obviously know something. That's why you told us that last one. So we want the things we came for. We want the drugs right now. He says, okay, they're down here in the basement. And he goes to the basement. There's three coffins. And... They say, he says it's in the coffin, so they each go to one of the coffins, and they open it up. And when they open it up, they see their own body lying in that coffin. And that's when uh, he tells them that they were shot right after shooting Crazy K. And this isn't a mortuary. This isn't a funeral home. This is hell. And all of this has been leading to them going into hell. And he transforms into this, like, demon lizard looking guy and uh mm-hmm. we end in flames at the end yeah again another screaming mad george makeup effect is just yeah everything except for the cgi tongue everything except for the tongue the tongue <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's I, I i wish they could just go back and fix that tongue because it just <laughs> looks so bad I, it was kind of random <laughs> <laughs> um 
but yeah, that's that's such a great ending. And I love that they didn't just do the thing where like they have the guys dress up and like lay in the coffin. They actually made bo- like body doubles for at least for yeah. some of the shots. Yeah. Um, so they could show the actor looking into and seeing themselves and pulling back. Um, I really appreciate that. And again, uh, Clarence Williams just going at it. And it's just such an amazing, like over the top performance that's pitch mm-hmm. perfect. Um, and like overall, I th- again, I think that we as viewers are conditioned to not be hit as hard with some of these horror, th- horror uh, movies. And this one really kind of goes for the jugular. Um, and I think one of the things that really makes or breaks a good anthology is the sequence of your segments. Like, what do they make you feel? What what emotions are they bringing up? So, like, I feel like the first one hits you hard, but then kind of like devolves into the zombie craziness. Um, and then you have, again, you have the one, the boy gets bruised. Again, there's another hard one, but you have a little bit of fun at the end. And then the KKK comeuppance is like camp nonstop. So like, okay, you're feeling like a sit, you're feeling like you're comfortable um as far as the movie goes and then it hits you with another two by four with the last segment so like it kind of it kind of it's like a good like or like a good album those have like set you up and like kind of take you for a bit of a ride and that's what i think this movie really does and then of course it ends with that great with that punch at the end um so yeah i think and 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 big uh i think rusty kind of does a great job he's obviously a fan of horror um, as well as, you know, the dramas and the um, more uh, contemporary movies that he's pulling from. He does such a good job of mixing everything together. Um, it's just really well directed, really well acted. The effects are top notch. The, the score is really good, um, really well made all together. What are your uh, final thoughts, everyone? I mean, I really wish that, you know, it's kind of like the the ride that universal is giving Jordan Peele right now. I kind of wish that they, I don't know what studio uh, produced this film, but I wish that he had rusty kind of got the studio deal that Jordan has Mm. right now um, where like what we got get out us and then note, like it would have been nice to have seen other horror films come out of rusty's work. Cause I also saw fear of a black hat, which is like, Mm-hmm. in my opinion one of the best like mockumentaries um and i think that his work is stellar as a director and i think he would have done an incredible job in this genre um had he stuck with it i don't know if it was like politics or if he didn't have the support but it's just kind of sad that we didn't get more of like at least whether it's in the form of a sequel or something of this ilk of Tales from the Hood from yeah. Rusty, I, I would have loved to have, have seen that because, you know, whenever I think of like some of the best black horror films ever made, this is my go-to. This is the mm. recommendation I always tell people like Tales from the Hood. It's a classic and all I, I can tell how old someone is when they say, oh, it's Get Out. <laughs> I'm like, no, guys. <laughs> No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, need to watch Tales from the Hood. So yeah, I, I kind of just wish that we could have gotten more from him um, back then. So there, there have been two sequels actually that came out in the last couple of years. Um, that, oh yeah, but that, I heard they were great. True. Yeah, that is true. I for, I forgot. Oh, I forgot about that. 
Yeah, probably because they weren't good. I, I, uh, yeah, I've oh seen God, them. That's the impression. Three was better than two. Yeah. I think but, I saw, I didn't see two, but I saw three. Um, if you didn't love three, five. you're not going to love two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I forgot about that. Well, scratch what I said about the sequels part. Oh, no, that, that's fine. Oh, the rusty well, Cundiff. I I, I, right. I do know also right. doing doing the sequels, sequels with the original creator. Yeah, but I think no, um, Rusty was involved, Rusty was involved in those sequels. He was yeah. a producer, and he might have done one. No, of the he segments, he, he wrote he but, wrote and directed the third one. Oh, the whole, okay, yeah. But again, yeah. this is one of those movies. That's movie what that's, I saw. This is one of those yeah. movies that's very of its time and, and ahead of its time. <laughs> if that makes any sense, I think I don't think it was marketed well. I think people associate with Tales from the Crypt a bit much, which, you know, makes sense from a marketing perspective, but this is also so much more serious than that. And I think the people that did see it were a little confused well, at the time. When also trying to revisit it 22 years later or 21 mm-hmm. years later, it's tough. I mean, and people are going to have a certain expectation of what they want. I think he's probably trying to fill that expectation as opposed to doing something he really wanted to do. Or... Yeah, this... Yeah, you were saying about the marketing. This was actually a first-time watch for me um, because back when it first came out, I was kind of afraid that it was going to be more like uh, like Leprechaun in the Hood or something like yeah. that, like playing on stereotypes <laughs> and stuff like that, you know? That, yeah. and, but it, it's, it's not. There, it's not about stereotypes. It's actually a very real movie. And so I, I love this. Like this, it took me 22 years to finally watch it. Uh, because I, I had heard, you know, that it was better than what I thought it was going to be, but it, I just had never gotten to it. And uh, I'm very glad I have now. Like, it's really good, a great movie. Mm-hmm. And it was also produced by Spike Lee's company, uh, mm-hmm. 40 Acres and the Mule. So there's just a lot of good support behind it. But yeah, it wasn't, I think it's took, it's taken a long time to find its legs. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's, let's do our favorite segments. You don't have to rank them all if you don't want to. You can if you want. Um, but what's your favorites? So, Jamie, I think you had a list already, so I'll just reiterate. Oh, yeah. So, the, the Dolls one is my favorite out of all of them. And um, I already shared why. I Dolls, it was scary for me. It was the scariest one. Um, I also agreed that it was campy, but I also was terrified of those dolls. So, <laughs> and, and it was really good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and Corbin Brunson's uh, performance was absolutely extraordinary so um you know he, he there were moments where he i hated him but then there were other moments where he made me laugh he was kind of funny kind of a gestured kind of character a little mm-hmm. bit to me um but yeah that that was my favorite segment All right, ryan um i think mine is a mix between uh boys do get bruised and hardcore convert uh because it's I think both of those allowed you to kind of escape into the creepiness and the genres a little bit before they, um, you know, really hit you with it. Um, like I, uh, boys, they give, I still can't get over how I hadn't seen it before. So I still can't get over how you're still trying to put the pieces together and the sound effects and this idea of to a little kid, that's a huge monster. And this fact that you don't realize that until it, it kind of unfolds. So, um, and then hardcore comfort, like the, 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 now you can get into some things when it comes to the black community and the thing of the experimentation and stuff, but it was a sci-fi feel and 
you know, a little tech to it. So I thought that was interesting that you don't always get to see us playing that genre now. I think some of the newer horror directors are kind of trying to mix it up a little bit and, and throw that in a little bit. But that was interesting that back in that time period in the early 90s, they took that leap to try to do something like that to, to prove a point. Mm-hmm. Armando. Uh, yeah, uh, Boys Do Get Bruised, uh, definitely my favorite one. That was kind of a gut punch that's going to stick with me. And then uh, The Dolls, second. And mm-hmm. then I go with uh, Rogue Cop Revelation, third. And uh, Hardcore Convent is, again, I hate even saying one is my least favorite because I liked all of them. Yeah. It, it hurts. Well, doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just <laughs> your preference. Yeah. Jody. Yeah, so I'm going to go with uh, the KKK one, the, the Dolls one, as my favorite one. I just thought... It was the most entertaining of the stories, uh, but uh, it still had a good point to make. Uh, I really liked uh, the uh, the zombie one at the beginning, too, though. That's another really great one. The zombie effects on that one are yeah. fantastic. And again, it's a it's an issue that's still, you know, prevalent today. Uh, but I like I like every segment. There's not a bad one here. Like an, for an anthology to have four segments and one of them not be a dud is really impressive because yeah. it's that, other people can't pull that off. I, I've seen too many anthologies that one is just terrible and that they do not have that and, in this movie. In a lot of anthologies, you have a strong start, strong end, and then the middle is forgettable. This was definitely yeah. not the case. Yeah, nothing mm-hmm. nothing's forgettable in this. Um, I'll put the Road Cop as my favorite just because the first half just like hit me and I like, I was not Ooh. expecting for it to be this real, this serious. And I was just sitting there like, Oh my God, this is way more serious than I remember it being. And then we get the zombie and the zombie stuff is great. Cause it's not just a shambling zombie. This guy is like teleporting. He's using telekinesis with needles. He's exploding. I'm like, this is some good zombie shit. So <laughs> I was all about that. And then again, props to the wraparound. Cause I thought, it's such a such a classic performance by Clarence. It's just iconic. Um, I mean, when, when you think about this movie, that's the guy you're going to remember. Yes, more than anything yeah. else, you're going to remember him. I, I, yeah, I will say in, in the sequels, it's kind of cool because I think it's Keith David's in the second one. Yeah, Keith and David. then Tony Todd in the third. Tony Todd, yeah, oh, nice. doing the wraparound. So it's at least I, I wouldn't definitely recommend watching the movies, but the wraparounds <laughs> are I remember being entertaining. <laughs> All right, and that's our review of Tales from the Hood. Mondo, give us your song of the day. I just remembered I paid $20 for Tales from the Hood, too, the day it came out on iTunes. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Uh, song of the day. So I picked a song from the early 90s that is a bit controversial. Um, was then, is now, uh, for all the right reasons. But the band Body Count. No. <laughs> uh, they're their famous song, Cop Killer. Uh, which came out in 92 and, and caused up a, a shitstorm of controversy. And uh, just because it fits in with the theme of this. And Ice-T wrote that song. He didn't write it. Well, he, he didn't write it as like, oh, I'm actually a person who kills police officers. No, he wrote it because he was pissed off about all the police brutality going on in the United States, which in 2023 still happens all too frequently. And at the time was controversial. And was kind of neat is that the president of his record company. I can't remember which record company he was on wrote an editorial about it, defending him. And it's because, because there are all these calls saying you have to take this, you have to take the CD off the market. You can't put this out there. And he goes, well, you know, if other artists can get away with writing songs called like I shot the sheriff, then, and if we can get away with glorifying old gangsters who were killing police officers, then 
why can't Ice T write a song about why he's angry with with the police? And I love the fact that his record company, in a time when you wouldn't expect them to, actually defended his actions on that. And it's a it's a good song. And Body Count is always a uh, a fun, a very fun band. And it was kind of interesting because. It, back in the early nineties, it was almost unheard of for this rapper to cross that genre into the the heavy metal and oh. heavy metal. And Ice T's always loved heavy metal. And if you ever if you ever, if you ever hear interviews, he talks about like bands like Cannibal Corpse that he loves. He's a big fan of Slayer. He even covered so, some of those songs. So it, it's also cool to see that crossover. And uh, if anybody hasn't heard Body Count, at least I'd say the first record was by far their best. But they just put a new album out, I think, last year, and they still tour. So you can still catch them on tour if if you uh, ever want to see them. But yeah. uh, and I saw I saw them on Warp Tour in like '99. So interesting, yeah. <laughs> so I think Cop Killer. If God and granted, I was I was nine years old when it came out, but I still remember being a big deal and being on the news mm-hmm. and being like an Inside Edition and everything. But I believe the first time they ever played it before they ever recorded it was at Lollapalooza. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Just is a fun little bit of history there, but uh, for mm-hmm. our for any kids out there who don't know who Body Count is, check out Body Count, and it's an interesting read because I kind of read up on it a little bit yesterday, just about the controversy. I remember the controversy, of course, but uh, it's kind of interesting to see like all the people that were actually defending it, and, and for all the right reasons. So, yeah, Body Count, sorry, Cop Killer by Body Count from their first record, Body Count. Thank yeah, you. no, and 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 you really can't overstate how controversial this song actually was at the time. Because, like, I remember it being on the news all the time. I remember watching one of those, like, uh, you know, remember back when VH1 had, like, the I Love the 80s and I Love the 90s and stuff like that? I used to watch those things all the time. And one of the I Love the 90s things was talking about that, and they had Ice-T on there. (laughs) He was like, when the President of the United States says your name in anger, that's pretty heavy, man, because, like, George Bush out this song if you're generally if you say something and it pisses off uh, one of the bushes you're probably saying the right thing <laughs> just right 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 <laughs> just saying <laughs> and, and well and look at even like in today right you'll have an artist which will come out and just not even threaten to say oh maybe the police shouldn't be so brutal and then they'll get like shunned like you'll have people out there calling for their heads saying, oh, you can't say that because you disagree with the police. And here's Ice-T in the early 90s with the balls to come out and make a song called Cop Killer. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Mondo. Jody, give us some horror news. All right. As far as news right now, mostly we're just going to be talking about some upcoming releases and new releases because uh, some trailers have come out, some new movies have released. Uh, first, what I want to mention is a trailer has been released for Joe Lynch's new movie, Suitable Flesh, and it looks fantastic. It's like a Lovecraftian erotic thriller looking thing. It's got uh, Heather Graham in it, Barbara Crampton. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, it just premiered at one of the film fest, I think maybe at Tribeca. Uh, but I am very excited to watch this one. Uh, I like Joe Lynch. I like the stuff he does, kind of that indie horror, and he's got a good crew with him this time. And uh, the the main thing that sticks out to me is I've heard people say, this is a Stuart Gordon movie that Stuart Gordon didn't get to make. Hmm. And I love Stuart Gordon. Uh, and Brian Yunza actually is one of the uh, producers for this one, Stuart Gordon's longtime collaborators. Very hmm. excited about that. Other things. We've got some releases. Uh <laughs> On Netflix, there is a new animated show called Skull Island that is a continuation of the King Kong Skull Island movie. 
Uh, it looks cool. Got kind of like an anime look to it. Uh, I'm trying to see what day it releases. It releases this week, though. Uh, so definitely check out Skull Island. Actually, maybe that's, you know, good way to introduce kids to some spooky stuff. Or my kids have seen uh, all of the King Kong and Godzilla movies and stuff like, especially those new ones. And so they'll be excited for more giant monkey. Uh, another movie coming out. Uh, let me find the date on this one. Friday, June 23rd. So uh, just in a couple days from now. This movie is called The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. And it is a modern retelling of Frankenstein uh, with a young black protagonist. Looks really cool. Looks like a really cool movie from the trailers I've seen. Jamie, have you seen it? I have. I saw it at South <laughs> by. It's awesome. awesome. And we talked to the director and um, Leia, who's the lead, and they're great. So yeah. definitely if you're into like Frankenstein type films and um, and films that, you know, have diverse casts and um, just new contemporary modern storytelling, it's it's definitely one to watch. Is it geared towards kids or is it like YA or is it more adult? Um, I would say it's more adult because it does get very gory okay. and a bit violent. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Trying to gauge which one I should let my kids watch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they live with you, so they're older than five. They should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> a couple other releases uh, that have just recently come out. Uh, the Wrath of Becky has just come out on VOD. That's another good one. It's I awesome. I love the first oh. Becky, so I'm very excited oh, to watch yeah. this one. I, I picked it up day it came out and watched it, and I was super satisfied. Is there yeah. is there more Nazi killing? Yes. Okay, I'm yeah. in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And it's also very violent as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. No, all, all, the, all the preview images are Becky just covered in blood. You, um, I, I, yeah, need yeah. You to, I need you to watch that before I see you on Thursday because uh, we got to okay. talk about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Lulu Wilson is a great oh. actress. Like oh. she's she's been making horror movies since she was little because she was in like Annabelle Creation and Ouija Origin of Evil. And so I'm just excited to see her, you know, doing more horror stuff. She's a lot of fun. Great actress. I, mean, I, I want to talk about it to Jamie, but I can't because I'll be spoiling things. But I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> and, then, and Sean William Scott is in it and I haven't seen him in like forever. So yeah, he has a very interesting role in it he um, is surprising how intense he comes off because he comes off he's again he's a comedy actor and i think it's kind of cool because they had kevin james in the first one you wouldn't expect yeah. to have that intensity and this one like i expected some dumb jokes i'm like oh no he is not a nice yeah. person so is he like <laughs> so is he the kevin james role in so, ways you have to watch it the leader like of the proud boys leader yeah type okay. nice okay i'm 100 right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i want to see stifler get eviscerated <laughs> and uh, one other one that uh, Jamie already mentioned, uh, The Blackening just came out in theaters. It's in theaters right now. Again, one that I am very excited to watch. It looks great. Uh, Jason, were you the one who said you were watching uh, something in a theater and a trailer came on and they made some like joke joke about Trump and you were the only one who laughed? Yeah, I was, in, I was doing a work trip in a very rural area of California yeah. <laughs> and I was watching <laughs> Evil Dead Rise and that trailer yeah. came up. That's why I thankfully it was one of those stadiums that had like the um individual seats, the recliners. So it's easy to like be a little bit anonymous, but I was the only one that laughed at that joke, Trump joke in the trailer, and I just kind of like 
Yeah, oh. I'm six foot four, so I'm hard to <laughs> make myself disappear. Well, welcome to my world, Jason. So when Jamie, you laugh at a Trump joke in public, you have to look around over your shoulder to make sure nobody comes after you. So Jamie, what's, what's your impression? What's your quick 30 seconds uh, impression of the blackening? It's hilarious. It's a comedy. So, uh, you know, if you're into horror comedy genre, then mm-hmm. that it's definitely for you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a movie that makes fun of itself. Yeah. Is it like yeah. a is it like a horror movie with comedy elements, like a scream, or is it more like scary movie where it's just like straight comedy? Um, those are two extremes. Probably more <laughs> like a scream because it it's not like yeah they're not trying to lean too much into the okay, comedy, cool. but it's yeah okay. it's a nice balance yeah. I I do love the tagline where they can't kill us all first yeah. because, you know, the long trope of the black character being the first one to die in a movie. Like, hey, we're all here now. So what are you going to (laughs) do? That that Trump joke was glorious. So now I laughed out loud at that trailer. And it it played very well. And I mean, I was actually in a screening with an all black audience, (laughs) Um, but it it, it played well when that when that um, came up. So it's hilarious. Yeah. And my last piece of horror news, maybe this is just for me. This is just appealing to my personal interest. (laughs) Uh, But on Disney Plus, uh, they are releasing HD versions of a lot of their classic shorts, like the stuff from the 20s through the 40s, 50s, stuff like that, restored, remastered, including the skeleton dance from 1929. That's why I'm relating this to horror. Uh, The skeleton dance is a, like, Great bit of animation. The skeletons are all doing like it, it's just really cool animation, particularly early from 1929. I wrote my senior paper in college about like animation during World War II, and so this is those kind of stories and uh, just some some classic Disney stuff uh, starting Friday, July 7th, and then another batch on August 11th, another batch in September, and then one in October. Uh, because I, I, you know. All these streaming services, they have all their new content and they're making all this new stuff. I like that some of the places that own old things are actually taking the time to restore them and make them nice and put them out in front of a new audience like Disney. You know, HBO Max should be putting the old Looney Tunes out, uh, but they actually removed a lot of them because streaming companies are stupid. I don't understand how it all works, but they just remove stuff all the time. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to to go back and revisit all these old cartoons uh, because I'm a nerd in that way too. As they were originally shown in their 4K glory. In their 4K <laughs> glory in the 1920s. Yes. All right. Thank you, Jody. All right. We're going to move on to our dad advice. And uh, Mondo and Jody are about to hit the road for their Chattanooga Film Festival. Jamie, you're a festival veteran. Um, why don't you share some advice about, and Ryan, I'm sure you've been to some as well. Why don't you share some film festival advice? What can people expect? What do you recommend people consider when uh, going to a film festival? Definitely. when you go to a film festival, build out a schedule of what films you want to watch. Um, I personally have like in my Google calendar, I, I use Google calendar and I'll just start putting in, what films I want to watch 
for each day and build my own personal program. And that way I'll get the alerts of, okay, two o'clock, I got this screening, six o'clock, I got that screening. Um, a lot of film festivals have different events as well, like panels and Q and A's. So if you want to do those, you can put that into your schedule. Uh, so check, do, do it that way to make it a little bit easy and a little less overwhelming on yourself. And, um, you know, make sure to hydrate because <laughs> uh, it can get overwhelming at times. If you're one of those people that watch like four or five screenings a day, I, I don't do that anymore. I've, I've gone back to like three is my max. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of my little go to is, you know, just put a schedule, plan your schedule ahead of time before your boots are on the ground at whatever festival that you decide to go to. Nice. But one one thing I'm really excited about uh, with Chattanooga Film Fest is they are doing a hybrid festival this year. And so it's part on the ground that uh, we'll be going to this weekend, but also they have a virtual side to it. And most of the movies are screening in both places. So if there's something I can't get to because, you know, I need to eat or sleep or, you know, all those things that uh, humans have to do, hopefully yeah. I can catch it on the virtual side of things once I get back. Uh, I'll make sure anything that is in-person only is going to take priority, but uh, Chattanooga Film Fest sounds just like a lot of fun, too. There's a lot of parties at this one. <laughs> Gotta love the parties. Yeah. <laughs> Those are a lot of fun. Uh, do you guys ever do, um, oh gosh, what's the name of that horror festival that's in Texas? Uh, Frightmare. Um, oh, Frightmare. Frightmare. Or South no. by Southwest. Not South by Southwest. Fantasia? Fantasia, yeah. I've never... Fantastic. Fantastic. This will actually be Uh, my first ever in-person film fest. Yeah, me too. Oh, okay. We're noobs. (laughs) (laughs) I've been to film... I've been to film festivals. I've never traveled to one. I, I live in LA or, you know, of another town that just happened to have one. You just drive 15 minutes and... (laughs) Yeah. You guys went to um, Blobfest. That's a film festival. Yeah, I guess. I guess yeah. it's, it's a little. It's more. It's looser of a film festival. More of a celebration around the movie, The Blob. I think I only watched three movies the whole weekend. <laughs> One being The Blob, but but that's a blast. <laughs> yeah, that, that's more of an overall just experience. I would say. Then it's not really focused on any. Um, not like a film fest. We were watching five or six screenings after. Yeah, it's more right loose. But uh, I, I can give travel tips though. Yeah, travel tips yeah, are well. travels all the time. Don't clap when the plane lands. <laughs> don't stand up on the plane. I lines. hate it when people do that. I, that's a pet peeve of mine. I don't know why it is, but it is. Like this, this pilot's job every day is to get people safely. He's good at his job. If you clap, I'm basically saying, "Oh my god, thank you for not killing all of us." No, nah, this is what he does every day. Uh, when the plane lands and you're not six foot four, don't stand up. Just wait your turn. Don't wait. don't don't be a menace to everybody else on the plane trying to get their goddamn bags and get off the plane. When the plane's ready to take off and you're in boarding group eight and they're calling for boarding group one, don't stand up and block the boarding lane. So I'm, this, is my, this is my my old yeah, that's man. That's probably right important. Here. That's probably important. Yeah. And uh, be nice. Be nice to be nice to the the people the people that work on the plane. Be, be nice to your flight attendants. They they have they have tough jobs. They really do. Yeah. yeah. And for the love of all that is holy, do not take your goddamn shoes off on the airplane. Oh yeah. People do Ooh. that. People do that. Oh, that's. 
Oh, I have Dude, sometimes they'll not just take them off. They'll stick their feet like through okay. the seats oh. onto your armrest. One of the most oh. Hor- oh, that's gross. my most oh, horrifying nasty. experience on an airplane was I'm 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 dozing off. I travel all the time for work. I go to put my arm down my armrest, and there's a bare ass foot. I put my arm on oh. someone else's bare ass foot. Oh. Like I, my brain couldn't even process what was happening because I couldn't believe someone did that. And they're like, "Oh, sorry." I'm gonna fucking kill you when God's playing. I will. It'll be murder at thirty thousand feet up here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Ryan, do you have any festival or general traveling tips you'd like to share? Um, I'm still like a festival newbie too, but I used to do a lot in college. Um, I I went to UNC Charlotte, and they would have a lot of like uh, film festivals and everything on campus, and it would be about like you have to plan it around your classes. So if you got overwhelmed. You end up being sitting in like a small auditorium for like hours, just trying to catch like every film, like all the student films and all that kind of stuff. But um, I did a, I did some virtually like during COVID and everything. And it was, it's mainly about like everybody's pretty much touched on it. You just have to know like what time, be able to plan it out, you know, get your snacks, your hydration while you plan out your schedule and everything like that. So yeah, I'm a big foodie. If I have snacks, I get real grumpy. I gotta get my snacks and, and plan my stuff out. So. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of virtual events. Hopefully, I'll join you guys in a newbie festival uh, round one day. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I've heard Fantastic um, is the one to go to, though. I've heard that's kind of like one of the best ones. Yeah. I know. I want to go. I, we've only, as a publication, covered it virtually for Black Girl Nerds. I've never actually physically gone, but I would like to go because I, I love Texas. So um, mm-hmm. South by is great. I've, I've, I've gone to South by. South um, sounds cool. But, yeah, yeah, that's a vibe. That's definitely worth going. And they're like, <laughs> their evening showings, their midnight screenings are always so much fun to watch. Um, but I would love to go to Fantastic Fest because they have a really great, it's just a really great genre festival. So one day. Jason, make this happen yeah. for us. You got, you, you have the, okay. the connections and the. <laughs> I, mean, I think we need, we need a few more Patreons to get there. Um... Can we just make like a $1,000 tier and it send, it send the dads from the crypt to. It's a fantastic film fest. Yeah, I'll get rid of them. Hey, you can <laughs> um, put it up there. No one's got to actually buy into it. Like you can just put it on there, and you never know. But if they did, yeah, yeah, if, if they you did, did. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll <laughs> say that I uh, recently did a road trip with my family. Uh, it was about sixteen hours, uh, and that's without if you did it without stopping, it'd be about sixteen hours. So from you know bottom of California to the top of Oregon, and my wife is a genius. She went to the dollar store and bought a ton of cheap little toys and knickknacks and everything. And she made boxes, uh, like surprise boxes to hand to the kids every couple hours to keep them from going crazy. And it worked really, really well. The drive went very smoothly. Um, and all props to my wife for coming up with that or <laughs> putting that together. Do you guys um, trade off driving, driving duties or do you drive? I, I did most of it. Like I would take a break maybe in the afternoon. Um, but I did, yeah, I did the majority of the driving. Do you get mad and people have to stop to pee? Are you one of those guys? Uh, no. Gotta pee, you get all grumpy. I don't mind stopping to pee. What I mind is like if we, if they like, if we stop for a long time to pee. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, get out, pee, get back in. We gotta keep going. <laughs> okay, so, that's that's our issue because there's so many of us. If we right. make a bathroom break, it's gonna be 30 minutes at least. Hey, and so we try to l- limit that. Hey, my, my tip for traveling with kids is if you as an adult can handle it, wake up real early in the morning and get some coffee because they'll sleep like they'll sleep through a big chunk right. of drive. And that helps. And um, yeah, so, I, I usually drive solo so I can stop as many times as I want. And I also have Gatorade yeah. bottles if it gets desperate. 
because I've, I've driven through I've driven through Arizona before when it's like three hours to a rest stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but we survived and, you know, all worked out. All right. Well, I think that wraps things up. Ryan and Jamie, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Blackgirlnerds.com is the website. You can find our podcast on any of the streaming apps or on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I think is what they call it now. (laughs) Spotify, (laughs) iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, That's a weekly show. So every Monday is when we put out new episodes. We also have a YouTube. So just look for Black Girl Nerds on YouTube and you can see um, new video content there. We do a lot of interviews like Bamani J. Story, the director of Angry Black Girl and a Monster, um, and so many others. And yeah, um, you can find us all there. And my personal Twitter is at Jamie Brodnax. If you want to follow me there at Black Girl Nerds on Twitter and at Black Girl Nerds is where all of our socials are. Ryan. Yeah, my personal uh, Twitter is at November Bear. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of like uh, American Black Film Festival stuff out on Black Girl Nerd. So go check that out, as Jamie was saying. Yeah, and thank you guys so much. This has been fun. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, we lost Jordy. We lost Jordy. Oh. What a good time to drop out, though. He's like, I know. I'm, I'm done, I'm done <laughs> listening to you guys. <laughs> he had to pee. That's yeah. We <laughs> broke him. All right. He has like eight kids. They, they're they're on a schedule. It's it's fine. Right. They probably one of them probably disconnected the router. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. Well, we appreciate everyone for listening. We would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating review on iTunes, a rating on Spotify, and check out our YouTube for videos of these podcasts. And with that, Ooh. we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. Adios. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter. And Instagram, or I will follow you to the grave. (laughs) No, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. (laughs) 